is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Last week on the show, we did the case um, against Roger Stone. It was a really popular episode as we started unpacking what Roger Stone was doing on the 5th and the 6th. You remember, he was hanging out with a Manhattan madam, amongst many other things at the Willard Hotel. We're going to pick that up today and look a little further into what, what he did. Now, picking up from where we were earlier in the show, look at these three gentlemen. You got Roger Stone, Alex Jones, and Mike Flynn. All of these guys publicly conspired about having an insurrection on January the 6th. Two of them, I can't find Alex Jones, although I'm pretty sure he did speak about it, spoke about instituting martial law. Each of them had a role in organizing the events of January the 6th in terms of bringing people together on planning it or whatever it was. Each of them had a role in leading an element of that, whether it was Roger Stone in terms of the Proud Boys and the um, Oath Keepers and, and now also the Three Percenters. Alex Jones, in terms of his InfoWars crowd that were there everywhere, were, were paying to even speak to the crowd. And Mike Flynn, we know, was part of the QAnon buildup and how QAnon was created. And each of them had a role in terms of funding Stop the Steal. They, they had a ton of events, they had a ton of video, they had a ton of calls for people to, to support what was going on on January the 6th. And yet each of them is not being indicted because, because of the speech, free speech. I don't know, that doesn't seem to be to cut it for me because it's not just free speech. There's money, there's organization, there's planning, there's leadership, there's contact with all these people. It can't just be free speech. It's got to be much more than that. And we spoke a little last time about how conflicted Roger Stone really is you know, in terms of the fact that he was connected to every single one of these organizations in some way or another. MAGA, Women for Trump, InfoWars, the Three Percenters, QAnon, the Proud Boys, and the Oath Keepers all have connections to Roger Stone. And yet he seems to be thinking that he's going to get away with it. Now, right now, at least, there is no indication that he's even being questioned or indicted or will be for anything that he's done during that period of time. And just one last thing before I let you jump in here, Noel. You know, we spoke last time about the Willard Intercontinental Hotel and how close it is to the White House. And I got the satellite image so everyone can really appreciate how close it is. If you, that, that big building between the White House and the Intercontinental is the Treasury Building. It's basically inside the White House complex. So, the, the Willard Hotel is the White House, basically. If, yeah. you're, if you want a place to stay, that's where you stay. Now, many people are now saying, as we said for the first time last week, pointed out that there were 50 people, according to the Manhattan Madam, who were staying at the Intercontinental Willard, 50 people, that perhaps people should be considering that as a war room. Seth Abramson as, is out there saying that was a war room, according to some warring indictments that he's seen. We'll ask Scotty about that. But... Uh, we don't know that for sure. All I can say for sure is that it does seem like 50 people, including Roger Stone and many Proud Boys, many Oath Keepers were all staying at the Intercontinental Willard Hotel and look how close it is to the White House. There's a feeling that something very serious was going on there in the Willard Hotel that amounted to a, a command and control center for the insurrection um, of January the 6th. So far, none of those people who were in that command and control room have even been questioned because they weren't you know, conducting violence, uh, as it were, on, on the day of January the 6th. When I was a bike messenger, you know, I worked on Capitol Hill and my main account was the Congressional Budget Office. I was assigned right, there every that, yeah. day. 
And back then, you used to deliver to the east wing of the White House. You literally used to bring packages up to the guardhouse, you right. know, like 10 feet from the building. Wow. There was this little sort of guardhouse <laughs> where they check IDs. Yeah. And I would drop off packages. I would also drop off documents and house resolutions at the Willard all the time. Right. It was one of my, if you were bringing something to somebody who was doing business at the White House, it was either at the Willard Hotel, it was at the White House, or it was at the old executive office building, those which is on the other side yeah. of the White House, the western side. Like you mentioned, the money. There's big money behind 50 people staying at the Willard Hotel, and right. there's a sort of a presence of officialdom in staying there as your command operation. And you mentioned Roger Stone and all the ties that he had. He was also just pardoned in December. And right. when he was on trial for a year, he tweeted out a picture of the judge in his case with a bullseye over right. her face. So you couldn't have a more dangerous man who's basically given the middle finger to justice and saying, I'm above the law the entire time. And then he gets pardoned. What does he do? He starts an insurrection. And he is a Batman villain. You know, really it's like it's all is. right. It yeah, really is. It's right in front of your eyes. You see what they were doing. Basically, the whole thing is like, how are you going to stop us? You I know, agree that's with the you. Whole thing, I think you that's know? exactly what's going on. It's a very dangerous game of, of cat and mouse, but because they've got, I assume they're all pardoned. I assume the reason we have not seen uh, more action around them is that they're pardoned. This is Roger Stone before the insurrection. He was using the stopthesteal.org account as a way of fundraising. And what I found so amazingly interesting in this particular video is how focused he is on raising money for the security of the marches. Now, who were the security of the marches? They were the Proud Boys and they were the Oath Keepers. They were his security. That's who they were raising money for. So let's listen to a little bit of you here. Let me see if I can pull up the audio. All the professional accoutrements of an event. This is a pop-up grassroots event for which we need professional security. We don't have a wealthy donor like George Soros waiting in the wings to write a check to subsidize our political activism. We can only count on people like you. So to help us have a safe, peaceful event, to help us have the impact we want, to change history and to stand up for the greatest president since Abraham Lincoln. Please go to stopthesteal.org. That's stopthesteal.org and help us pay for the staging, the transportation, and most importantly, the security of our peaceful protesters. Thank you and God bless. And there's a lot to talk about in that video in general, but he clearly is raising money for an insurrection. And people, he doesn't say he's raising money for the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters to be showing up in their military gear to storm the Capitol. He, but that's what he's raising money for. You know, he's calling right. it security, but that's really what it is. And he's also throwing in an anti-Semitic dog whistle. We don't have a George Soros to cut us a big check. He's subliminally like giving them their, their marching orders. He, he's invoking the hate speech that they're already trafficking in to ask them for money. I agree with you completely. I think there's such a risk in allowing the speech to go on that it's, you know, this kind of fundraising is the kind of thing I'm talking about that they really need to stop. But before we get in further into that and pining about that, uh, let's see if we get Scott McFarlane to join us. Everyone's got to follow Scott McFarlane. If you don't, he is the source for the best information in everything that's going in in Washington, D.C. Um, regarding the indictments and involvement in the insurrection. And Scott, it's just terrific that you've been spending some time with us tonight. Today was a big day because... 
not only did we find out that the Oath Keepers were much more significantly involved, but there was an attempt to keep them in jail for a longer time while they while we figure out more of what they were up to. Can you let us all know what happened uh, during the Oath Keepers that were recently just indicted in, in insurrection? Yeah, this is a group that's like the Oath Keepers. It's another far-right group accused of conspiracy. They're actually called the Three Percenters. Oh, sorry, I meant the Three Percenters. I'm sorry. Yeah. I meant the Three Percenters. Sorry. It's a parallel group, so it's yeah. easy to conflate the two. Um, the Three Percenters, which, by the way, are named after, in, in their minds, the colonial era, when during the Revolutionary War, 3% of the colonists took right. arms up against the British. So they think of themselves as revolutionaries, and the feds say when they were on Capitol Hill January 6th, they were making Revolutionary War references. But the new revelations today are actually much more severe. They're saying at least one of these accused three percenters, a guy from California named Russell Taylor. This is him. This is him here, I believe. I don't know which one of him is here. Is on he, the right. On the right, okay. With the hat. The feds say he was conspiring as early as November to disrupt the January 6th elections and that this group of three percenters was talking about violence against anybody who didn't overturn the 2020 elections. It's a very granular, very colorful allegation against a defendant we haven't seen even in the most serious cases so far. There are six men accused in this group of the three percenters. All this is all these people are from California, all of them charged with conspiracy. You're looking at really what is the epicenter of this sweeping prosecution because they're accused of planning, planning ahead, as you see from that, from that court filing, planning a group of armed fighters, bringing gear, knives, goggles, pepper spray or chemical spray. What's more, here's one of the more illustrative things in the allegations. Some in this group are accused of driving from California to Washington, D.C. that day to avoid raising red flags at the airport. Right. With what a, they had in their bags. And what did they have in their backpacks? It seems like there was a, a lot of ammunition and was sort of a lot of weapons that they were ready to use. Things that would have been spotted by anybody at an airport who checks bags. Chemical spray of great quantity. Certain types of knives. There are allegations here also that perhaps there were some taser devices or hatchets mm. that were brought to the Capitol that day. This, this group came significantly armed. Now, we, we talk about guns a lot. A lot of the Republican members of Congress say this was no armed insurrection. Mm. Nobody had guns. But I push back in two ways. First of all, there are two defendants, at least two, who are accused of having guns right. that day. These are but, aside from these guys already, right? The earlier. Aside from these guys. Yeah. But these guys also, uh, according to federal prosecutors, know D.C.'s gun law being particularly strict and might have been trying to circumvent. So I want to show you a couple of pictures from the earlier reporting on this and then just get your... This, so this is Russell Taylor. The guy driving the car is Russell Taylor, I'm assuming, not the guy with the flag. Is that right? Well, the guy driving the car is symmetrical with the guy from the previous yeah, picture. Yeah, um, so, sorry, like sorry, California. so who's so who are these people? Do we know who these guys are? Three percenters. They're all from what I'm seeing in the charging documents. They're all men. They're mm -hmm. all men you know, in their 40s, 50s, I think perhaps in their 30s. They, that man there, Alan Hostetler, is uh, the top defendant in the case. Uh, they say Hostetler was anti-government COVID restriction and mobilized for that mm -hmm. to fight California's COVID protection matters, to fight the masking. And it seems to have morphed, according to prosecutors, from fighting masking and COVID restrictions to fighting the results of the election. And they're explicit in these accusations that this group questions the legitimacy of the 2020 elections and was targeting those who don't. 
Earlier, earlier on in the show, we we're talking about how you know, deep rooted this sort of QAnon uh, psychological weapon is in, in transforming these uh, people into any version of operators or cells or whatever you want to call them as they want. So they were able to turn them from anti-vaxxers or anti-maskers into insurrectionists seemingly quite easily. It's, it's terrifying, really, when you think about it. I found it interesting that they specified that history in the mm. charging document. They, did, they don't do that in all cases. They don't give you that backstory of right. a defendant in every case, but they did in this one. And, and, and the symmetry is interesting. You're pushing back against the government for COVID restrictions and pushing it back against an election. It's possible they're trying to show a pattern. Mm. Um, they're trying to, to show why, what maybe inspired a conspiracy. But what's striking here is the allegation that they were considering or discussing violence mm. in the name of countering the 2020 election. And they really haven't been that explicit in any of these other cases. And they'd planned for it. They were, he had been recruiting a bunch of fighters. He had brought the weapons. He had organized for the weapons to be driven across the entire country. And this certainly seemed like a very pre-planned event for them in any event. They were coming there with the intention of at least of being able to use their weapons if, if they needed to. They may not have, you know, and there was no foregone conclusion that they would have, but they could have if they needed to. The um, conspiracy component of this really yeah. is the critical component. There are so many defendants, so much of such a, a variety of cases, but these cases where they allege conspiracy, a few dozen, right. really are the epicenter of the prosecutions. Now, uh, Noel, do you want to jump in? I just want to thank Scott yeah. for his excellent reporting. I saw the tweets on this today, and I know how you've been all over the story. And I have one quick question, because these guys were all based in California. And I know that last week, an elections official in California, who was like widely lauded as a completely unpartisan election official, left. He quit and moved his family out of the state. Rachel Maddow did a big piece on mm. it. And I wonder... And her piece was basically like, look, this guy, I'm getting death threats. He was an Asian American. He'd worked in his job forever. People are threatening to kill my family. It's not worth it anymore. Yeah. I'm out of here. And I wonder if, if this sort of thing is related, if the fact that these guys are so violent and so spread out and entrenched in our country that oh, you can disrupt elections by threat. Oh, next mm -hmm. time that guy won't be in charge of that election. The guy who had done no. his job and been experienced. Did you, did you see what I'm saying? Yeah, you got to wonder who wants to be an election official right now for the civil right. service pay, for the Monday morning quarterbacking you get in the best of times. Right. To do that now seems to be a fool's errand. I'll, I'll, I'll add this, though. I'm struck by the geographical diversity, the list of defendants in this case. They're from everywhere. They're from California. They're from big cities. They're from small towns. They, I got a guy you know, who's accused of driving from you know, rural Arkansas and somebody who's in suburban Washington, D.C. People with different socioeconomic statuses. They, but they do find each other, don't they? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Certainly there's questions about social media platforms allowing the congregation to happen, allowing the, the conversation to happen. I mean, there's some clusters. Pennsylvania's got a bunch. It's close to Washington, D.C. New York's got a bunch. Again, geographically close. But it's from everywhere. And the, the backgrounds are so diverse. In your mind's eye, you see that insurrection. You mm. see a lot of black and gray beards. You see a lot of stocky white men. But it really is a diverse group if you get the yeah, full set of who's been charged. It is interesting. Um, I want to yeah. play you a little clip from Hostetter because I watched his podcast just out of curiosity and it's very hard to follow. The thinking is really hard to follow, but I just want to play you a short clip to give you a sense of what's going on in this guy's mind. Here we go. What if? Oops, I'm not sure you can hear that. Can you? Just what if all of this over the top blatant and obvious corruption on the part of the FBI is a misdirection play? What if the white hats are actually in control of the FBI and the intel agencies now 
And let's pretend Chris Ray, the FBI director, might possibly be a sleeper who very technically, but still misleadingly, was correct in his assessment of BLM Antifa not being involved in capital fake direction when he testified before the Senate. And the reason that he might be technically correct is because John Sullivan, a.k.a. Jaden X, is actually an anarchist. Now, that, that's hard to follow. I don't, do you, could you hear all of that? Were you able to hear it? There's a lot going on there. Yeah, but uh, it's very... If you listen to the whole thing, you will not follow it. It is a lot of... It's crazy thinking. It really is crazy thinking. I'll admit that I've watched the, some of those same videos. I have not independently confirmed the way we have to by our standards. Yeah. That's Alan Hostetter. But I'll acknowledge that I've watched that video and some of the other videos that are allegedly ascribed to him. There's a reason. The, the prosecutors, though, have given us the backstory on Alan Hostetter. Mm -hmm. They mentioned the website that he has. They mentioned the other groups with which he's associated or is accused of founding. They're putting that in there because they're trying to build a case, presumably, that this is an organizer, somebody who organizes things because they're trying to make a conspiracy case, which is a, a different level threshold to reach as a federal prosecutor and the, the, the infrastructure of building a conspiracy case. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it comes off comes off his LinkedIn page and identifies himself as that. But you're right; it might not be, it might not be him. I'm the way he describes his arrest by the FBI and the investigation. I mean, he certainly was expecting this to come down, although he did. He thought maybe for a little period, if you watch one of these, that he was going to get away with it. There, there isn't another piece of video, and again, we can't confirm that this is exactly him. But certainly, open source investigators and researchers online say that it is him. It's uh, him setting up a microphone at an event with Dana Rohrbacher. The backstory is Dana Rohrbacher is a California congressman yeah. um, until a few years ago, and independent reporting has him near the Capitol. Yeah. Um, so I don't actually have the video. It is interesting that he, with Dana, to 2019, as Dana was railing on about, about the communists coming to take over America and that we have to stop them, almost pre predicted that there was going to be a insurrection kind of event. Dana Rohrbacher, who everyone knew was Putin's congressman, I was believed to be paid for by Putin, certainly was involved in many operations that seemed to support the Russian agenda in the United States, that this guy, Mr. Hostetter, was involved in an event, holding up a microphone, making sure that Dana Rohrbacher could address the crowd at this event. It, it certainly seems like they have some sort of history together. Now, you're right about Dana being at the insurrection. It certainly surprised a lot of people. I've been watching this guy for a long time. I could not believe that he was present at the insurrection and was spotted by the open source investigators. This is, this is him looking a little um, disheveled, perhaps, but at the insurrection just outside. He didn't get into the Capitol. He didn't get into the Capitol itself, but certainly there he is with a friend of his. It's interesting that all of these sort of tie together. It's, it's, it's shocking that we've got a former representative there with ties to Putin, even Kevin McCarthy said that he's hanging around and he's got ties to these to these three percenters. If you read through the 500 or so case files that exist right now, you'll see some number of public officials, a West Virginia state delegate who not only was you know, accused of being there January 6th, but is accused of doing a Facebook live video, screaming his own name, right. announcing that he was there. You have a local county commissioner from New Mexico, um, who's accused of being outside the Capitol, facing charges in the insurrection. It's part of that diversity again. You've got a little bit of everything. You got a little bit of America um, represented here, and that includes public officials. So what have you learned that's been the most, and what's your takeaway? You've looked at these cases closer than anybody. You must be getting a picture of how much of a threat level, or what kind of threat we're, we're facing in America. What's your sense of what that threat level is? Well, let me just say immediately, the case filings are scary as hell. The brazenness with which people are accused of doing what they did, the fact that some of them don't recognize it to be a crime, or if you don't recognize what they did was illegal, leave that aside. All the cases I've looked at, the one thing that stands out to me as important 
is a case of one of the accused Oath Keepers, John Schaefer. He's pleaded guilty. He's promised, as part of his plea agreement, to cooperate. In fact, there was a reference to him getting witness protection during his plea hearing. There have been, I think, three other pleas so far in the federal cases. None of the others were required, or at least announced, to require cooperation. So if anybody's asking rhetorically, where is all this headed? You want to watch the cases where there's cooperation being promised and where they're going after these higher level charges, conspiracy, assaulting officers. That's the ball game right now. Mm. There are people who want to see justice um, brought about for everyone. You got to be honest. Some of these people may not be going to prison. Some of these are misdemeanor cases in the federal system, but no criminal past. Very possible. A lot of people charged will not spend a day in prison. But watch these cases with these accused far-right groups who are accused of conspiracy. If they're going to cooperate, or as some people call it, flip who? Nice. Somebody who paid for this? Somebody else bigger, higher up, who organized this? Are we going to the next level? That's where the whole show is right now. And I try to block out, so I, I want to report on everything, but I'm trying to focus in a little more on that and a little less on some of the lesser charges where things are just going to resolve themselves. That's very that's very astute yeah. and smart of you. And certainly what we've been doing here on the show is looking at those organizers, looking at the you know, looking at the Roger Stones, Michael Flynn's, Alex Joneses of the world and, and asking the question, will they ever be died? It doesn't even seem like they've even uh, yet been approached by authorities. There's not even any questioning uh, going on of these guys. It seems like a long time to wait after an event, not to, not to at least interview them. Uh, this is the... It's the frustration, but also the beauty of the federal justice system. They do not comment on cases until they're closed, and they don't show their cards until they feel like they have to show their cards. So we don't know what we don't know. Right. We don't know with whom they've spoken. We don't know who they brought in for interviews until they want us to know that. Sometimes they accidentally put things in a charging document, and we're good at spotting them. Um, that first plea agreement I referenced was the Oath Keeper. That got out of the bag before the feds wanted it to, because I think they mistakenly put something out. But we don't know who they've talked to. And they, unlike some local justice systems, some international justice systems, at the federal justice system, they have a pretty strict policy. They're not going to talk till the case is closed, which is why you have not seen the U.S. Attorney General or any of his designees do a press conference on this. Mm. That's why we are always puzzling together answers, all of us, mm. putting the puzzle together because nobody's going to put it together for us. It was interesting today when he did do the domestic terrorism announcement, the Mary Garland, he, he seemed to draw a line between the people who, who were involved in the violence and the people who might have been speaking in favor of that insurrection or, or an act of domestic terrorism. He, there seems to be a dividing line for them in the, how they're investigating things. They're really going after the people that were involved in the violence and in actual you know, physical law breaking versus the people who, who might be inciting it through speech. It takes Donald Trump off the, off, off the hook. And maybe it also takes these other organizers off the hook. It is possible that because Roger Stone was at the hotel that day and didn't go to actual events at the Capitol, that maybe he is protected because it's free speech and he's not directly involved in the violence. Although I would question that. But what do you, do you think that there, there is a path to a to an indictment for Roger Stone and those kinds of... Let me tell you the path that the FBI director has been explicit about. He was last week when he appeared before the House Judiciary Committee, and he was again today before the House Oversight Committee. He says there are three buckets. One bucket is people who are outside the Capitol protesting, screaming, making a lot of noise. Not, they're not terribly interested in that bucket. Second bucket is people who were in the Capitol, potentially those who maybe damaged some property, clearly violated police orders, made the situation worse. That's the second bucket. The third bucket, the one I've been referring to, planners, mm -hmm. conspirators, people who were part of the orchestrating of what happened. 
that's the bucket they're most focused on. That's where we, that's where we have some of those far right groups. And when they cooperate, gets us back to the question, what are they offering? Because I got to tell you, they know everybody that was in that building that day. So if you're going to cooperate, what are you offering up? Because they got, they think they got pretty good evidence against the other 499 people. So that's the fascinating open question, which motivates me to dig on this. You do such great work with this. Sorry, go ahead. Thank you, Zeb. No, I just, that's awesome. <laughs> you made me feel so much better. Actually, I, listening to you talking right now, it helps me feel yeah. a little bit better about where we are going down the path because it doesn't feel like to me like they were actually ever going to get there, but maybe they will still. There's how oh, many the people federal are... system is so it's painfully slow. It, is, I mean, yeah. it, 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 it moves in months and years. It doesn't move in days and weeks, which can be unsatisfying, but is an indication of thoroughness. We are at about 500 cases now. Wow. The FBI director said today there are hundreds more investigations beyond that that are going on. Wow. So I'm not sure if that, where that gets us, but it gets us in the direction toward 1,000. Though I, I, it's, hard to put, it's hard to put goalposts up right now. Mm. What's the mood inside the the attorney's office there? Like, are they feeling pretty strong about where they're going? Is there confidence in the new leadership? Are they feeling, despite all these scandals, that they can still do it and not get distracted by what's going on in, in terms of the other scandals that are happening there? It's a really good question. Here's what I can say with certainty. Mm -hmm. um, it's overwhelming how much intake is coming into this one federal courthouse. Right. All the cases are going through D.C.'s federal courthouse. These exactly. people are being brought in from around the country. There's only so many clerks, only so many prosecutors, only so many federal defenders. They are beg borrowing and stealing prosecutors and federal defenders from other jurisdictions. They're making the judges handle a little bit more, bringing some of the senior judges to a higher case level, some of the magistrate judges to a higher case level. This D.C. federal court, Zevin Knoll, typically gets about 300 criminal cases a year. As of now, they have 500 insurrection cases, oh, wow. not to That's mention crazy. all the other crimes that are happening in the District of Columbia, not to mention all the cases that were backlogged during COVID. They've got a, they've got a huge backlog to clear up, but they're just now reopening for trials. So you've got a bottleneck that is not going to speed things up. So all the cases are coming to one attorney's office? That's unbelievable. We're all coming to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia. Wow. Now, Obviously, that it, 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 not by happenstance, that's next. It's right down the road from Maine right. Justice, from Justice Department headquarters. So there's that backstop as right. well. But it's all going through the same courthouse. Right. They're not trying the defendants from California in California if they go to trial. They're not the guy from New Mexico. He's going to be here. The guy from Massachusetts, he's going to be here. That's a logistical issue. It's not going to stop justice, but it very well, well might slow it. So just before we let you go, tell me, you mentioned one case. What was the one case you said to watch was the, uh, was the guy who was flipped. What was his name again? John Schaefer is from Indiana. J-O-N Schaefer is from Indiana. He's one of, he was one of at least 16 charged Oath Keepers, but he's the first to sign a plea agreement. Now, I, I don't think we're going to find out how his case is disposed of for quite a while. If he's cooperating, he may be among the last to be sentenced. Who else should um, we be looking out for? What other cases are you excited about? I think the cases that carry interest are all those three percenters from California, whom you were speaking earlier. Mm -hmm. The Proud Boys, again, symmetrical. You've got a level of far-right accusations, a level of conspiracy. But watch the case of a guy named Ryan Samsel. Mm -hmm. Here's the case where he's accused of knocking over a police barricade, knocking over an officer, and knocking her unconscious. This is the case where his backstory is almost more... Uh, I shouldn't say interesting, but worthy of looking at as the case itself. He has a history of convictions of knocking women unconscious. He has mm -hmm. a conviction for assault of his pregnant girlfriend. He's, they're trying to transfer him 
to state prison in Pennsylvania for other violations and is back and forth and back and forth. They're fighting it. He's just one of those cases where it, the, the kind of the antecedent is interesting in addition to the allegation. There are so many others, Devin Knoll, yeah. have no criminal history, none yet are being held because what they're accused of doing is so severe. That's just a case where the guy's accused of having a horrible past, and that's burning him right now and forcing him to stay in jail uh, until further notice. Are you, are you concerned about August the 15th? A lot of people are concerned about this date. They're saying that it's you know, potentially the next insurrection. Is, is there, uh, is, what are you thinking about that? I, I, I don't want to use hyperbole. I'm concerned yeah. about everything to do with the Capitol in Congress. There is exponential growth in the number of threats being made against members of Congress. And the, that actually was happening before January 6th. I, I'm not sure who signs up for that job right now, but because you're going to get some number of threats just for showing up for the day. And yeah, you've got a police force. You've got a police force that, that, that's robust in size and robust in budget, but you also aren't beneath the, the dome of the Capitol at all times. You're not inside the shield, which yeah. by the way was yeah. penetrated in January. You're at the airport. You're flying back and forth. You go home at night. Yeah, There's a district. district office in a strip exactly. mall uh, you know, next to a right. post office. So I take this very seriously, and which is why I think we all need to focus more on this, less on the politics of it, more on the reality of it. What's going on with these guys, with these women? What's their deal, and what's the next threat? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking about Gabby Gifford as you were talking there. And it that just, me too. Yeah, yeah, just really yeah. shocking That's to think about that. That's the vulnerability. Yeah. That's where the soft spot is. No, any, any, any questions for Scott before we let him go? I probably kept him longer than we should have. But Keep it up, Scott. And thank you for the perspective and the insight and the wonderful reporting. It's chilling, but it couldn't. I know that courthouse. I lived in D.C. for a long time. What a time to be covering this. Oh, like yeah, it's ironically right next to the Capitol, as Noel knows. It's right down exactly. the street. It's all exactly. metaphorical. Scott yeah. McFarlane, thank you so much for joining us. The NBC4 Washington investigative reporter. You also see him lots on MSNBC. You have to follow him on Twitter because he's the best source for everything insurrection. You can also check him out on Sirius and XM. Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate your time. And hopefully we'll have you back again later on as we continue to investigate this. Anytime, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's great. What a, what a terrific insight. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, it seemed to be the sun is really bright today. Yeah. But what a, it's so great to get his perspective because it is a lot of work as he is going into every little bit of detail on every single case. He's read every single one of these indictments. He really has an understanding. He sounded a little bit more positive than I was about what might happen up the chain. It does seem like that they're they could still be going after uh, Roger Stone or Alex Jones and, and, and others because that's the reason they would have flipped these guys in the first place. Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's very heartening. And the Justice Department of Justice doesn't exist to appease Twitter. And I'm somebody who's on Twitter. Come on, arrest everybody now. And that's not how it works. It's hard work. And it's a lot of documents. And there's, like he said, it's like they normally get 300 cases a year and they've had, what, 500 since January or whatever. So Can you imagine the caseload. Can you imagine being the people there and having to I, deal I, with, oh my God, there's another 100 cases that just laid up on my no, desk. It's just insane. And as he was describing, I know that courthouse. I've been there for something before in my, in my past. Not that I was on trial. I just, I, I, met, I know I can visualize what he's talking yeah. about. And it's mind boggling. Because D.C. is a small town. People don't, it's, a, it it's got town. a big thing, but it's a tiny little place. It's amazing. It's mind boggling. And it's mind boggling to think that all these guys are being held either in the D.C. jail or in Northern Virginia or wherever they're keeping them. It's just insane. It is, and that they're keeping them for these for these kind of charges with no track records. Because you know, I am really concerned still about what's going on. It was difficult to hear him describe what his fear was around all these representatives. But is this date floating around for August? And 
uh, again, just to circle back to the top of the show, we need to stop allowing people to have this kind of conversation out there. It's, I know these are extraordinary times. We need some extraordinary measures. And Twitter is able to ban people or deplatform people. Great, deplatform more people. But we can also make it illegal to have these conversations. We can go after the media that's been pushing all these these incredible lies that are really affecting our national security and our soul of the country. I mean, we're not going to have democracy if we allow all these broadcasters, if we allow all these these influencers, influencers to continue to propagate all this information. That's basically propaganda and intelligence run psyops coming from other countries. Well said. And the scariest thing that Scott said is that most of these guys don't have criminal records. That's what people need to focus on. These aren't people that were like in bike gangs and drug dealers that just fell under the spell of a conspiracy. These are normal Americans for all intents and purposes. They're across the socioeconomic spectrum. They're across the geographical spectrum and they haven't done anything before, which means something out there that has radicalized them, the QAnon, the three percenter, the MAGA, the Donald Trump, has gotten them to the point that they'll load up their cars in California with weapons and drive across the country to attack the United States Capitol on television. <laughs> you know, and think that they're doing the right thing, and think that they're not doing anything wrong. I mean, that's, that's the point. Yeah. No, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. They think they're patriots. They yeah. think they're the same thing as a revolutionary soldiers fighting yeah. and fighting against tyranny. And they're buying it. Like that's that that's the point I'm trying to make is that these aren't guys that are just like have always been maladjusted troublemakers that are just looking for an excuse to punch a cop or something. These are normal people that are essentially risking it all for this fight. Oh, and such a good point. It, it's it should be chilling. It should be chilling. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.